IT Governance, Security Training for your board, and Rob Clyde, Vice Chair of ISACA's Board of Directors, all coming up right here on the IT Pro TV podcast. Be sure to stay tuned. It's coming up right after this. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another episode of the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Don Pazette, back again with another episode. And in this one, we're going to be taking a look at a report that ISACA just put out that has some really interesting information in it. And boy, how better of a way to, to really interpret this data than to talk to some of the people actually involved in it. And we were really fortunate to get Rob Clyde to join us. He's the vice chair of ISACA's board of directors. He's also the executive chair for White Cloud Security and just a, a super honored guest for us to have here on IT Pro TV. So Rob, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. And for our viewers that uh, that might not be familiar with with you or with ISACA, let's let's do a little bit of an introduction here before we dive right in and start talking about this because it, it really is some great information that I think people need to see. Uh, but Rob, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a longtime cybersecurity pro. Uh, I've been in the business for gosh over three decades by by this point. Uh, started my own companies before. Uh, so I've been involved in startups, been an entrepreneur, uh, credited with uh, developing the first intrusion detection product clear back before the internet even existed, and uh, actually uh, helped uh, take a company public, uh, sold it to Symantec, and uh, that company was called Accent and ended up as CTO of Symantec for many years. Uh, so that was that was a great pleasure and, and got to enjoy uh, uh, the the thrills of being part of what at the time was the largest cybersecurity company uh, on the planet. And uh, have since continued my work in the space. Uh, I've been a CEO of Adaptive Computing and uh, also been a longtime volunteer for ISACA. All right, and that's that's really what's brought us to this interview today is, you know, ISACA as an organization puts out so much great information and helps companies really make sure that they're they're focusing in the right direction. But for our viewers that aren't familiar with them, can you can you tell us a little bit about ISACA? Sure. So I in a nutshell, ISACA exists to help you realize the positive potential of technology, both for you and inspire that across your enterprise as well. And so we, we work with over a half a million professionals in the fields of assurance, cybersecurity, uh, risk, and governance. And uh, they come to us for insights on how they can actually achieve the promise of leveraging technology and using information across their organization. And I, I, I probably should have said it, and I didn't, but for those of you who don't know, ISACA is an acronym. It stands for the Information Systems Audit and Control Association. And, uh, you know, I, I've worked in the insurance industry. I've also worked in the financial industry. And let me tell you, for, for IT workers in that space, it is so challenging because there's so many different solutions, so many different products, so many different consultants telling you all these different things that you need to do, and they don't always add up. And so it's nice to have an organization out there that's trying to, to help us find that right direction, uh, right, Rob? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, vendor agnostic. Uh, we have professionals from over 190 different countries. We have 210 chapters. Almost every major company on the planet has professionals that are engaged uh, with uh, ISACA. So 
it really is a great association that exists for the good of the order in this space. And uh, it, it's, it's a thrill to uh, now be on the uh, board of directors of the organization. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the information that you guys put out. Is uh, you know, recently you, you put out an infographic, right? So that's nice, concise yeah. information, easy to consume, yeah. <laughs> and and it's uh, it's titled "Avoid the Tech Governance Gap." And let me let me bring it up here real quick so uh, our, our viewers can see it. Uh, and basically, what it is is a quick rundown of information that you guys have found. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a kind of an uh, an introduction to what this document is before sure. I, I spoil it. So, so one of the many things we do at ISACA, and we do many things, uh, uh, including uh, certifications and training, but one of the things that I love that we do is research, and this is an example of that, where we did research around, you know, what's, what's the relationship between governance and the need for governance, cybersecurity, and the actual state where organizations are at. And so this gives some, uh, it definitely shows there are some gaps as you walk through this, maybe between what people say or what leaders say and what's actually happening. And this is not unusual. We find these kind of gaps in, in, in many areas, but I think in cybersecurity, they're particularly stark. And when you also realize that cybersecurity is front page news, I mean, I, I can hardly pick up the Wall Street Journal anymore without seeing some kind of cyber related article somewhere in that front page. Yeah, and you know uh, the the very first entry on here where it talks about the gap, I think really helps to accent a lot of that. Where it, it, it says right here that cybersecurity policy, or you know what companies say, cybersecurity policies and defenses are the number one corporate governance technological challenge. Right, so they're they're acknowledging that this is yeah. it's a challenge and it's really important. But then, what what do we actually see? Right, we actually see that only twenty one percent are briefed on risk topics at every senior leadership meeting. That means they're having senior leadership meetings and they're not even discussing cybersecurity at them. So how can that be the number one challenge when they're not even not even addressing it? Well, I, I have seen some positive signs. So I'm not surprised that it's the number one challenge because uh, I, I also, in my role at ISACA, work regularly with the National Association for Corporate Directors as well, or the NACD which uh, regularly has uh, board directors who are engaged on this particular topic. And so, for example, they hold two major meetings a year, and one of them is focused on cyber. So one of the things I have been seeing is a few years ago, it was relatively, it was relatively rare that boards actually met and discussed cyber risk. That's becoming far more common. Yet at the same time, it's hardly a topic of the day. It's hardly a topic that you see discussed it regularly at executive staff meetings and uh, uh, even at board director meetings. Oftentimes it's just once a year, oftentimes handled by the audit committee. So I think that's where a bit of the disconnect is, a clear understanding of the need and yet not quite enough doing yet. Yeah, and I think companies are doing a better job now recognizing how devastating the effects of a cyber attack can be. You know, if you have a a web-based storefront and you're denial of service offline, now you're not making money. Or even worse, if your credit card transactions are compromised and people don't trust you to process those yeah. transactions, then they're not going to come and shop with you and, and you can 
you can go out of business. But, you know, I have seen some large corporations where they had these really big compromises, like Home Depot a few years ago. Right. And yes. it really doesn't seem to have impacted them that much, has it? Well, you know, it depends on how quickly you look at it. Uh, in some cases, Home Depot is an example. A stock recovers relatively quickly. Uh, Target, similarly. On the other hand, not so much with some of the things that have been ha happening lately, uh, like Equifax, which has truly uh, been difficult, uh, where you see CEO departures, stock drops. Do I think the ch company has a chance of recovering? Of course. Uh, and I'd, I, I do believe that, uh, that people can pick themselves up and, and make shifts. I'll tell you what's a, a bit more troubling to me is that it seems like despite all of these high profile attacks over the years, we do tend to be repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of companies get the, eh, it won't happen to me type attitude that, you know, we're, we're too small or we don't have data yes. those people want. And, and so they, they don't, they feel like it won't happen, but the reality is it's, it's probably already happening to them and they just haven't noticed. Uh, anyone who says it can't happen to me has probably already been broken into. <laughs> Anybody who tells the board of directors, I'm 100% confident that we have not been broken into is one of two things. Either they're lying and they actually know they have been, or they're incompetent because they haven't spent enough time looking at the problem to know that it's not actually a statement you can make. Uh, it is actually very, very difficult to provide 100% assurance. Now, I do see positive signs, as, as we kind of started out saying, uh, people are starting to see the problem. Whereas a few years ago, I do think it was a little bit of the ostrich syndrome and the head in the sand and hoping it wouldn't happen to them. I do think we're at a stage where people are starting to see it. However, I think we're a long ways from actually figuring out exactly how to solve it. Some cases we do know. And then most importantly, doing it. And, and some of these latest attacks are good examples of that. You know, in the case of Equifax, for example, we've known that it's important to be confident that systems are patched and up to date because attackers will and do exploit vulnerabilities of uh, patches that come out. Once a vendor comes out with a patch, attackers simply reverse engineer that patch and figure out now how to uh, to use it. So the clock starts ticking the minute a vendor comes out with a security patch. So it's really important to check for those vulnerabilities and make sure that they're actually patched and up to date and not take that casually. And then there are other lessons that we learn as well. What? So suppose you miss a patch and it will happen occasionally. Maybe there was a flaw in the vendor's program that actually makes sure systems are patched. What's your next line of defense? And this idea of defense in depth is really, really critical. I would suggest an important one, and many others would as well, is to institute something called application control or whitelisting and actually ensure that in most situations, only known applications will get run. On an Apache server, there's not a lot of reason to run random applications. Only known good ones should actually get run. And that'll actually help ensure that malware doesn't actually get run or ransomware get run, as we've, we've often seen in attacks recently. 
And we're starting to see more and more applications in that space. I know most of the operating system vendors have ways to to limit it, like uh, Windows has AppLocker and yes. Mac OS has their uh, application preferences where you could say you can only run apps that have been pulled from the App Store. Uh, and that certainly helps to, to secure them. Uh, I know Silence operates in that space and Carbon Black where you know these are the only applications that can run. I think the tricky part is that a lot of those solutions are either complex to deploy or they're expensive. And as you start moving up through the hierarchy, you know, the, the, the grunt worker, the, the IT worker who's in the field might say, oh, I really need to be doing this to secure the systems. Yeah. But by the time you make it all the way up to the C-level executives, the people who are creating the budget, sometimes there's a, a bit of a disconnect there. And, and where a lot of that comes from, I, I think, is actually called out here in the infographic. Hang on, let me pull this back up again. Yeah. Um, there's one entry in here where it says, Cybersecurity is the number one governance challenge, yet just 15% of the companies responded that they're increasing spending on data security, and not just data security, but training for the board yes. members to make sure that yep. the board understands what their obligation is, right? That, that's really critical. Yeah, and I have a feeling uh, that that number is going to go up when we take this survey next year after some of the high-profile attacks we've seen. Uh, but yes, this is a disconnect. There does need to be more training. Uh, while board directors, you know, and I actually frequently speak to them, I see more and more of them coming to training events. It's hardly the norm yet. I think most of them are still opting for almost on-the-job training where they go to the more board meeting, listen to the CISO, listen to outside security experts, and, uh, and hope that they can absorb enough and while that's great, the training that's needed at the board level really isn't technical training, really is governance training. For example, let me ask a simple question of any board director that's out there. Uh, if your company is hit by ransomware, who authorizes the payment or non-payment of that ransom? If that's not a board level decision, given the ethics that are involved, given the fact that you're actually making payments to an extortionist, I don't know what is, but you can't be authorizing each and every one of those, so how do you come up with the right policy? That kind of a discussion, that kind of training is very different than, say, the training a cybersecurity practitioner would go through. Absolutely, and, and, and that's really important to highlight here is we're, we're not saying let's put them through security plus or even cissp for that matter like that that's not appropriate because or, they're not get as, uh, CISM or uh, csx certifications yes yeah yeah and you know and we have certifications where you go online and you you like have to demonstrate your technical capability no that's not what we're talking about for right direct yeah although you know csx is actually pretty appropriate for a large audience but but not not the ceo not the cfo right but right. they they need to understand their obligations, and that's where governance comes in. And and actually, the the one statistic that was on here that really shocked me, because some of them sadly weren't weren't shocking, uh, which I guess maybe that that's kind of shocking in itself. But <laughs> but the one that really got me uh, was down here towards the bottom, where it said uh, better technology governance improves business agility. Right. So 89% of the respondents said yes, it makes us better, and it uh, improves economic outcomes. 92%. Right. And then it yeah. says yet. Yeah, nearly one in five don't use a governance framework. And right. I was surprised on this because I, I, if you had asked me yesterday, I would have assumed, I mean, it, this implies that four out of five are using a governance framework. 
I don't think four out of five are. I think governance is a bigger problem than that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So one of the challenges is oftentimes the, they will say, we pay a little bit of attention to the NIST framework in particular, which is great. I'm, I'm not certain just paying a little bit of attention necessarily means you're using a governance framework. Similarly, paying some attention to COBIT or as a practitioner, being aware of COBIT principles is not the same as saying our organization actually uses the framework. And uh, so, so I do think uh, that the reality in my experience has been that, that sometimes there's a little more lip service or a handful of people who are using a framework, not necessarily the entire organization. Yeah, and I, I've seen that a good bit with PCI, where you know it's an, an, a security or a health attestation. You're saying that you meet these expectations, but are you actually practicing that? Are you actually implementing the things that you're talking about and, and monitoring them and ensuring that they're being followed through, even as you add new employees and new products? That's a, a big deal, and that's a, a management-level thing. They, they're not necessarily doing the actual work, but they're making sure that it gets done and that it's being done consistently. Right. That's a big challenge for organizations. Yeah, it, it is, in fact, a huge challenge. Uh, this consistency aspect is, is difficult, and it actually is exactly what frameworks were put together for. So, you know, naturally, from being part of ISACA, I'm a big believer in COBIT as a framework to use. And the nice thing about COBIT is it maps to NIST. So you automatically can say, well, we're also following NIST as well. Uh, so that works quite well, but it only works if there's a way of institutionalizing that in the enterprise. Now that doesn't mean every employee has to understand the nitty gritty of COVID or the NIST framework, but it does mean that there are certain consistent things that are in fact uh, being done. And, and I, I think we have a lot further to go on the doing side. Like I said, I think we are in a situation where we've passed the ostrich in the sand problem and people see the issue. They understand it. I think even boards and executives understand that having a major cyber event is, is likely to have profound impact on the company and perhaps even their own careers. Now, how do you translate that into an appropriate course of action? And I think that's where a framework can especially help you. Absolutely. And, and I think that people are starting to embrace that more. I know uh, just kind of across the board, we, we see IT training in a number of areas improving and increasing. And, and you know, it's even mentioned in here, uh, if I pull it back up, uh, where 64% believe internal threats are rising, and then only 35% are funding an increase in data security training for employees. You know, a lot of the compromises that we're hearing about these days are tied to, uh, you know, phishing or uh, people impersonating, basically social engineering. That's, that's kind of the new doorway to get into businesses. And training can really go a long way to fix that. But the one that I, I keep, you know, worrying about the most is the, the whaling that's going on, where they yes. build specifically crafted social engineering attacks targeted at the CEO or the CFO, that's getting more prominent. So this training has to be done really all across the employees from the, the low entry level employee all the way up to the board, right? It, it does. And uh, it's more than just fishing, by the way, uh, training that, that, that needs to happen, although I, I do think that's a part of it. So you just hit on one of my biggest pet peeves from management, uh, and, and I'm a long time 
executives. So I've personally tried to deal with this in my own career. But in general, the there is a strong temptation that when budget time comes, one of the easiest things to cut is the training budget. Um, employees aren't happy about it. It may cause some governance issues, particularly in this area of cybersecurity. But it does tend to happen. And so the result often is, is that people are undertrained. I'm one of those who believes let's give our people the tools that they need in order to do their jobs, do them safely, do them securely. And if that means we have less people, so be it. I'd rather have less people that have the tools and the training they need than more people that don't. And I, and I think too often there's this temptation to always make the cuts from the training budget. And it kind of, it kind of shows up in that infographic. Yeah, I had a, an IT director that I worked for years ago who he used to always say, uh, if you think training is expensive, you should try ignorance that, you know, yes. it, it comes back. Uh, I, I don't think he invented that phrase, but, but it's one that I remember. Yes. But, now, you know, this, has been, this issue has been going on for a while. And by the way, the, the, your phishing example is an important one. The phishing attacks are getting more sophisticated. And here is the simple reality. No human being, or I should say the set of human beings inside of a company with even the best training, will be 100% immune to phishing attacks. This is again why I think one of the important things is to also include the uh, application control or whitelisting methods. And you, you talked earlier about how they can be very difficult to manage. That was true a number of years ago, but newer generations of these technologies have made it easier to manage them. Uh, and to be more palatable to the upper executives, which is often where the, where the problem is. I do think we need that defense of depth, defense in depth against phishing, defense in depth against a missed update, uh, you know, defense in depth against somebody managing to walk in through the door with an infected thumb drive. Any one of these things could happen and do happen, and we should be sure we have uh, defense in depth against those. All right. So if I am a if I'm a CEO and I'm I'm watching or listening to the podcast and hearing all this, taking it in, uh, obviously I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to make sure that my company is secure. So you you, you gave us some recommendations. You you recommended Cobit as a great place to start for a governance framework. Yes. If we if we don't already have one, or we can supplement the one that we have. What what other recommendations would you make to companies to ensure they're doing all they can to be secure in in 2017? So one of them is uh, do push your people to get certified, particularly your information security staff. Uh, make sure they do have appropriate certifications. You know, CISOs should have the CISM, the Certified Information Security Manager certification from, from ISACA. Uh, there are many good security certifications that are out there. At ISACA, we have some of those that are most highly regarded. Your IT auditors should have the CISA certification, Certify Information Security Auditor. So these are important um, uh, to have. And our, our surveys from ISACA have shown that employers do prefer to hire certified individuals. So I think that's important. But with the certifications goes the training we were just talking about. Not just training of board members, but training of employees and yes, enough training to train your security people as well. 
because one of the big challenges we have is there's not enough security professionals to go around. And there's a good chance that we're filling that gap by cross-training good technical people in other fields, say a network professional, to be also a security professional. That will require training. You know, uh, a few months back, we had the opportunity to have Brian O'Hara here in the studio. He's uh, one of the authors of the CISA book. He's an ISACA member, is very active in the community. Yes. And he, he came out here and he, he created that training for us. We, we made video training for it. And I remember when he came out and I was thinking, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not an auditor. What do I care? But I, I watched a lot of it and I learned so much. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I wanted to be an auditor. It, it taught me what are the auditors looking for? Like, what what can yes. I do to make sure that I'm prepared so when the auditor gets here, they're bored because everything's like it should be. That, that was really a great learning experience for me. You know, and that's really the way it should be. Auditors can be, a, and I'm, I'm a longtime cybersecurity guy, so I'm sitting in your shoes as well, but I've always been interested in the view of an auditor. And auditors, it's important to understand, have powerful capabilities. They are change agents. You were mentioning before about the budget issue. I will tell you in my longtime experience as an executive in the cybersecurity field, the one of the things that will loosen the purse string on the budget relative to cybersecurity is the risk of failing an audit. And so when auditors put their minds to particular controls that they insist be in place or that a framework, as we were just discussing earlier, even bigger picture, is actually in place, that causes change to occur. So imagine in the first year, they come back with a warning. We didn't find these things. We'll give you a year. Next year, it's not just going to be a warning. You're going to fail the audit. Wow, money's going to get spent. And so I think it's important to understand the power that auditors do have and their ability to be change agents for good in this realm of cybersecurity, they can actually loosen up those purse strings to help a CISO, for example, be able to get the things that he might have been struggling or she might have been struggling to get. I know one of the parts I always appreciated is if you get dumped into a company, let's say you're a newly hired uh, CISO or, or something like that, uh, and it's just, hey, here, secure our network, right? And you're just kind of thrown to the, the winds. If you have an audit performed, it gives you a checklist, basically, like every, yes. everything I got red flag for, that stuff I need to take care of. And it gives you kind of that to-do list to build your structure around. So it's a really valuable resource to have. Absolutely. If I were a new CISO, the first thing I would do is bring in the toughest external auditor I can find. I want everything written up possible because that's going to give me the ammunition I need to make the changes that are necessary in the organization and, and really help help the organization understand exactly where they stand. So that would be one of my first pieces of advice to a, to a new CISO. Yeah, and, and those audits, they need to be performed routinely. It's because you know, when you get an audit, that's just how your company was at that point in time. It's, it's actually out of date the very next day and, and that yeah. any employee can derail your security efforts. And so it's gotta be monitored. And that's where governance comes in, right? And having a, right. a, a good plan in place to make sure that people aren't derailing from the, the, the plan we've got in place. Oh, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the big themes that I saw is this concept of continuous auditing. Is, and we believe that's actually the future of audit will be to have continuous auditing, not just a single point in time. So yes, you imagine if you did have this constant monitoring going on and you were able to demonstrate to the auditors when they came in 
you know, not only can, did you not find any new re, uh, poor results, but you can also see we've been performing continuous monitoring and we can show you the reports over time. Yeah, and I think that that really changes the game and ups the overall level of governance that an organization has. And this isn't a new thing. You know, human auditors are really valuable. They can come in, they give you a lot of great information. You can get more than one auditor, you get more than one opinion. But on the software side, there's plenty of applications out there that can help. And, and in fact, you know, you you were CTO at Symantec. So I imagine uh, you you probably worked with like Bindview CC a good bit or, or products that, I'm not sure what. I bought uh, some of those. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bought some of those companies over the years. Yes. Um, I, uh, I I used to use Bindview at, at several organizations, and it was great because you'd put your policies in. You'd say, you know, we expect these people to be in the administrators group, and if that ever changes, we need to know. That's a red flag, and so it was like a constant audit. Yes. Systems like that are not cheap, but they are very very valuable, and and I think every organization really needs to have something like that in place. You know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, I was alluding to when we talked earlier about my career about a company that I helped co-found called Accent Technologies. Our key product was a competitor's to Bindview called ESM. I don't know if you remember that one as well, uh, but it was the same concept. In fact, we pioneered that concept of policy compliance, of being able to actually embed your policy into the tool and then constantly monitor for compliance across a number of systems. And uh, in, in many uh, sectors, that type of product, whether it was along the Bindview one that you were familiar with or ESM, and there were several others out there and still are today, uh, I think is a very powerful concept that uh, organizations need to look at and I think is gonna become even more important as we move forward. So think about the vulnerability scanning, continuously looking for whether or not systems are patched and up to date. That's a class of that kind of monitoring that ought to be done at any significant enterprise. All right, now I know we're running a little low on time, uh, but I wanted to double back onto something from the very beginning when I introduced you. Yes. Uh, you know, you are the vice chair of ISACA's board of directors, and we've been talking about ISACA this whole time, but you're also the executive chair of White Cloud Security. And can you, can you tell us a little bit about White Cloud Security? Sure. So um, I got involved with White. I, I'm not a founder of White Cloud Security, but was thrilled to get involved uh, when I met uh, an individual from the organization a couple of year ago, years ago and got to know the founders. Uh, and these are guys who have had longtime experience in this area of next gen whitelisting and application control and actually had many of the concerns you just described earlier with previous iterations that uh, they had built for other companies. And they finally said, hey, we can do a better job, branched out and formed, formed uh, their own startup that actually solved those issues. It's been a great company to work with. The people are fantastic and uh, love to give them a shout out. Some of them, by the way, were involved in that. They're in Texas and uh, and some were involved in the uh, in, in the hurricane issue. Uh, some still are back in their homes at the company. Uh, but uh, just just great people to to work with and uh, certainly would encourage people to take a look at the company. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, for people who want to learn more about ISACA and everything, where's the, the best yeah. place for them to go? So the best place is really simple, www.isaka.org. And I would encourage any professional in this space to reach out. What a great networking uh, opportunity for you to get involved with your local chapter. 
to get involved with the opportunity for training and certification. And uh, I can I can just tell you one of the reasons I volunteer is I'm personally a, re a, a beneficiary of many of those benefits over the decades. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be at a stage where I feel like I can give back and volunteer for the association as well. And for others who might feel like me, there's fabulous opportunities to serve and to engage as a volunteer. All right. Well, Rob, I really appreciate you spending time with us here on the show. And I know our, our viewers appreciate you doing it as well. Thank you. Thank you, Don. It's been great to be here. All right. Everybody out there in TV land, uh, you know, I do encourage you to swing by ISACA. It's I-S-A-C-A, ISACA.org. Check it out. Uh, they do have chapters all over, not just all over the U.S., but all over the world, really. So be sure to check them out. Uh, a great resource. And I know if you go to a trade show, various conventions and conferences, they usually have booths out there. Uh, definitely be sure to check them out. Again, Rob, thanks for being with us. And for you thank guys you. out there, thank you for watching. Stay tuned. We've got more episodes of the IT Pro TV podcast coming up. But as far as this episode, we are wrapping it up right here. So signing off for IT Pro TV, I've been your host, Don Pazette, and we will see you next time.